0: It's the Auburn Observer Podcast. It's your Sunday recap, your free recap, wherever you're listening to your podcast. Appreciate you joining us. It's Justin and Painter. And uh, Painter, I, I think this is the first time we can say that we are talking about a game that Auburn did not deserve to win, but they actually won. And, uh, man, I don't know, man. Like, When was the last time you got this feeling? I asked, I asked Auburn fans on Twitter after the game, like, hey, what's the last time you felt this way after a win, an SEC win. And I think the best example, and I don't think it can even come close to this, is the 2014 Ole Miss game with Laquan Treadwell. Because Ole Miss is winning that game, literally, if Laquan Treadwell doesn't just break his leg there at the goal line. And by comparison, that makes, you know, taking advantage of a, of a, of a bad uh, whistle uh, and still getting the win, look a lot more tamer you know by comparison
1: i think the only thing comparable in terms of disappointment because that's much different than what was i think a top five matchup between Ole miss and auburn at the time is mm-hmm. the 2018 tennessee game but to your point i suppose there's no like defining moment
0: in yeah that I- i'm game. talking about like after an auburn win
1: so i i don't think that that really falls into the same category <laughs> having been at the game in 2014 i will say uh, i was still very pleased with the outcome but it was obviously disappointing that someone had to shatter their leg for that to happen
0: yeah absolutely it's not the way you want to win but i guess in by comparison winning the way auburn did against uh, arkansas on saturday looks a lot better in retrospect uh let's just get right to it auburn wins 30 to 28 over arkansas auburn was up 17 nothing they were rolling and look, man, like early on, this team looked like they had fixed some of their problems. And again, it's against Arkansas, so there was always going to be that kind of talk after the game. But the running game comes alive. You're in a monsoon, so you don't really feel like the passing game had to be, you know, excellent. But the protection seemed a little bit better um, early on. And then the defense, without Big Cat Bryant, who was out due to injury, was getting home. Third down defense was rock solid from the beginning. They were getting after the passer. Colby Wooden had a really good game. Auburn's up seventeen nothing, and immediately Arkansas goes back and scores on a on a on, on a touchdown. They get a touchdown. Auburn has to punt the ball back. It's a bad punt from Bo Nix on the pooch punt. It was like a like a shank uh, pooch punt, and then uh, Arkansas gets away with I thought what was OPI on the first play, big play downfield. They end up scoring again, and then it's a ball game the rest of the way. Auburn had Arkansas on the ropes, and they never really found that knockout blow. And to their credit, I mean, I think it was just – it's the one thing we said heading into this game. You don't want Arkansas to hang around because that's the type of game they wanted to have, even though it was probably a little bit more high scoring than any of us would have predicted coming in.
1: I did not think Felipe Franks was throwing four TDs, baby.
0: Yeah, over 300 yards, over 10 yards an attempt. He looked really, really good. Uh, Auburn got after him early, but he – I mean – there was a lot that he was doing um, and a lot of stuff that was getting open. Cole Kubelik on Sunday morning pointed this out on Twitter, and I hadn't really thought about it yet. He pointed out what I think the big takeaway I have from that defense is the man, that back seven just got worn out. No K.J. Britt. Owen Popo and Jacoby McClain are playing almost all of the game. Zion Puckett had to play a little bit of linebacker. Still no Jalen Simpson, even though he he dressed out. Jordan Peters, which is one of your key depth guys in the secondary, gets knocked out early. By the way, after yet another punt block, the dude is just a special teams nightmare. I don't know if you can get an NFL career doing that specifically, but he's well on his way to being like the next guy for the Patriots.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, if there's any team that's willing to give someone a contract right. for doing that, it would be that franchise make a living yeah. off of it. I think Brandon King's doing something similar.
0: That that defense was just really, really worn down in, in the second in the second half, especially in the back seven. And I think that went a long way into those big numbers Arkansas put up. And then on top of that, Cole, and this is what I was trying to get to, Cole Hubley pointing out on Twitter. Arkansas has got a really good offensive mind there in Kendall Briles. They were scheming ways to get guys open. There were a lot of running backs they were getting open. They were taking advantage of the fact that Auburn was pretty worn down at the linebacker spot. They were getting some good looks. Auburn has struggled. That new secondary has struggled at some times with some bust, not as much pass rush in the second half, and a defense really, really got worn down. But, Painter, I come out of Saturday not feeling as bad about the Auburn defense because – Man, look at the rest of the SEC. Can anybody but Georgia play defense? Kentucky, maybe?
1: I think you made a point off, Mike, about Auburn having played some of the more formidable defenses. Certainly, I think Kentucky and Georgia. Arkansas, you know. They don't give up big
0: plays. Yeah. I mean, they did that against Georgia as well. Of course, they did it. You know, against Mississippi State to get I mean, that I win.
1: You would think Tennessee, at least on paper, and by who's their coach, would have as formidable of a defense as anyone. And then in the second half, they got absolutely gashed. And Georgia didn't even, they didn't even have a good third quarter against Tennessee, and they still ended up winning that game. You know, easily.
0: So, I mean, I think that's just the state of what it is this year. We just watched Alabama give up a ton of yards to Ole Miss Ooh. in a shootout. LSU cannot stop anyone right now. It doesn't matter who they are. And it looks even worse considering they got they got shredded by Mississippi State in week one, and then Mississippi State turns around and lays two eggs in losses uh, to, to um, Kentucky and Arkansas. Two eggs and two points. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's just a real— Defense is going to be really tough. You knew there was going to be regression, but also there's like you got to take some of it with a grain of salt because they're hurt. I mean, this is a hurt defense. This is a defense that isn't 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 able to really rely on the depth that they had built up because, A, you didn't have a regular off season and, B, guys are getting hurt. I mean, Daquan Newkirk came out of that game hobbled. I was really worried about him because he's been through so much, and when you see him laying on the ground and reaching back for his leg, you're just like, no, man, there, you, no, please don't let there be another one of those. Owen Popo said something after the game that struck me, and, and I know not uh, I know Auburn fans won't, won't like to hear it, but he said he was like, considering the guys we had out, I think we did the best that we could. And to their credit, like Arkansas in the second half, points, points, points. Anders Carlson misses the field goal that would have put Auburn back up. And what do they do? Get a three and out. a Super quick three and out. They use their timeouts. They get the tackle for loss. Like they make the stops that they need to. There's another possession where Nehemiah Pritchett makes a really good pass breakup in the end zone on a drive that Arkansas only scores three points on. There are plays, and there are some positives to take away from that defense. It's just you got to wonder, if they can get healthy, they might have a defense knowing Kevin Steele's track record and knowing their ability to bounce back. You feel better about that group than, say, most of the defenses in the SEC because there's a lot of SEC defenses that are healthy and that are giving up a ton of yards.
1: So I said a lot this off season, especially as the season got closer, if the defensive line and really the defense as a whole now, you know, I'll worry about it when it's not good. Right. I'm getting more concerned, at least the most concerned I've been about the defensive line since 2016. I think everything you're saying has to apply, right? Like you expect there to be some measure of drop off given what you were losing and the yep. team has not been healthy at every level of the defense at any point yet this season. So that's your silver lining. Line, entered the season not completely healthy, especially with Big Cat Bryant, someone you really expected to bolster your pass rush. All right, obviously, Britt being out is monumental, All right, and that's indefinite. Mm-hmm. And then you've got multiple players in the backfield that are having to learn on the, on the fly here. So I'm the most concerned I've been in a while, but also remembering that this is not a finished product and that I think you should be confident that the defense by the middle point of the end, back end of the season will be pulling its weight. Offensively, it's, there was some of me in the Georgia game that went, this is the best defense they'll play all year and probably right. the best defense any team will play. If we have a playoff and Georgia makes it, same will be said for the teams who, who end up matching up against them. Right. Uh, the Arkansas game, I understand that that's a defense that does not give up a lot of big plays. It was the first time this season in which I felt concerned about how far forward this team offensively is going to be able to get, which I guess is why you always entered 2020 with the mindset like this is a year about making progress and getting better and looking forward to the ultimate goal of 2021, which opens a different can of worms because fans right now do not care about 2021.
0: I think that's the big takeaway is once again— for the third straight year, I feel like I've written a, written something similar. And, I mean, I probably could have written it in 16 and 17 as well. It's not that the offense is hopeless. You can't watch that Auburn offense yesterday and say, well, there's no, there's nothing good about it. Bo Nix made some really good throws at some key times, led him on a couple of drives there late, had the, had the big touchdown drive where he looked really good in the second half. We'll get to him. I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him. But, man, Tank Bigsby looks like a different type of dude at running back I need to go rewatch the game, but I thought the offensive line did better than they did even at times against Kentucky, especially running the ball. They ran the ball particularly well. Still not healthy, still not still rotating a little bit there, but here's the overall issue. It's consistency, and right now in the SEC and in college football, this looks like a time where because of just the way this offseason went and the way defenses are going, like teams are going to want to just throw you into shootouts and just say, hey, we've got the horses to do it. Auburn right now does not have the horses to do it on offense, and that is a concern. Bo Nix's numbers through three games are not better than what they were last year. In fact, in some areas, it's a little bit of a decline. Now, playing against Georgia made a huge difference there, and it's a tougher schedule. I will say, you're not getting that progress that you thought. It seems that they can't get Seth Williams, and I know he wasn't 100% during the game. They can't get Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz both having big games at the same time. They can't run block and pass block at the same time. It it felt first half, it was the running game. Second half, it was the passing game. All right, when is that going to come together? This has been happening for years now, and it's happened with different offensive coordinators. It's happened with different quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, offensive linemen. It's a rotating cast of characters. And I don't want to say pin it all on Gus Malzahn. However, he's the constant. He's the head coach in this situation, and it has not gotten better. The consistency hasn't gotten better And this is the year when you absolutely need to be consistent on offense because everybody else in the league seems to be doing it and your defense is taking a step back on top of the fact that they're not healthy. Yesterday, Arkansas threw for over 300 yards on you. That's a first-year offensive coordinator and a brand-new quarterback. Missouri, first-year head coach, brand-new starting quarterback. They beat LSU. Ole Miss puts up and ungodly amount of yards against Alabama. Matt Corral wasn't the starter last year for for the most part. Lane Kiffin was not there. You keep seeing this from all these other teams in the SEC and all these teams of the college football, and yet here we are in Gus Malzahn in yet another year under him, and you're not seeing consistent progress. You're seeing brand-new offenses with brand-new quarterbacks put up better numbers, and that is a concern. This is not the year where you need to be doing this. This is the one year where you don't need this at all.
1: This is the first time that I've really felt like this season there's enough concern on the offense that it's not going to take a significant step forward and I think right. their projected win totals this year were
0: 6.2. Yeah, I need to I need to update the the SP ones once we get done recording this probably.
1: But with that in mind, I still thought 7 or 8 were really was on the table, uh, even if that's rosy and it was. I will happily eat crow if the team turns around right. like it did in 2017, but I don't feel like we're headed for that.
0: The deficiencies are strong enough
1: that it it's hard for me to believe that that turnaround is very likely.
0: Again, I have said I think anyone who knows exactly what's going to happen to Auburn football next is is crazy because there's no it's, way. It's just a little bit yeah, it's a little bit futile to
1: to project Especially this year.
0: Especially with what we've seen around college football so far, I but I will say
1: I am not sold on Texas A and M. Like I know nope. they they're coming off what's probably I don't even think it's probably what's the biggest win since Jimbo's been there, a top yep. five win. Florida's defense is not impressive. What Mullen's doing offensively? Yeah, kudos. Like Kyle Trask is is having a great year, but
0: I, that's I, the issue. That's the issue, though, isn't it? Like. You get to this point where if you're Auburn and it's like, oh, well, Auburn might not be that much worse of a team as some of these teams they have to play. And they don't have to play Florida. But you look at them coming up ahead. It's like, okay, but those teams have proven that they can put up points. And Auburn has not done that yet. They look like they were going to do it yesterday against Arkansas. And then whatever reason, they kind of ran into a wall. Well, another thing
1: I think that you mentioned, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead.
0: My thing is is that these little mistakes continue to pile up. You get drops on third downs, you have penalties, you have all these little things that stack up on you, and yet there are other teams across this, this league, including teams with first-year head coaches and first-year quarterbacks. And that less are just, talent. And less talent that are walking down the field. And like I said, you can make an argument that Auburn has played the three toughest defenses or could be the three toughest defenses the SEC by the end of the year. Arkansas doesn't give up big plays. They shut down Mississippi State. They gave Georgia the hardest time they faced all year on the defensive side of the ball. They didn't shut down, but they gave Auburn problems yesterday. Georgia has the best defense in America. I don't think anyone's going to come close. I'll be interested to see what Clemson does from, from top to bottom. Whenever Ohio State gets in in the mix, we'll see. But, like, Georgia's defense is just on another level. And then you have Kentucky, who... Kinda of like Arkansas, doesn't give up a ton of big plays. You end up beating them in that game because you force turnovers and play a cleaner brand of football. But then we just see we just saw Kentucky really, really shut down that Mississippi State passing attack. However, I will say now that I'm I'm thinking this out loud, Ole Miss moved the ball pretty efficiently on, on uh Kentucky, but I think Ole Miss is gonna move the ball on pretty much everybody they play this year. And that's an issue because like LSU's defense is a mess. They still can put up points. Ole Miss's defense is a mess. They can still put up points. Texas A&M's defense is a mess. They can still put up points. Alabama's defense is a mess. They definitely can still put up a lot of points. <laughs> Mississippi State, man, I, I have no idea what that team's going to look like. Tennessee, it's going to be one of your tougher games you play all year. South Carolina, they've got some dudes. Now they've had their own troubles on on, on defense for sure, but I mean they've they've got some guys on offense to make make some plays. Auburn's extremely fortunate to be two and one. Their makeup right now is not the makeup of a team that is going to be built to last in this type of SEC landscape, and that is a concern because, A, you have an offensive head coach. You have a returning uh, starter at quarterback. I know you're new on the offensive line, but, like, hey, you're new at running back, and that's the brightest point of your whole offense is a freshman running back. Auburn's got issues, and, like, if they want to be any sort of a factor, they're going to have to rebound and have to bounce back, and yesterday they looked like they were on the verge of doing that in some areas. And then they lost the plot, and they should have lost that football game. I mean, I think we're both in agreement.
1: Well, they did lose the game, but they were bailed out. And the win column reflects that they won the game. Right. But that was a backward got-
0: pass. like
1: it, it just was. And if you're an Arkansas fan, like, I, am I correct? You should be mad. Yeah, am I correct Cal-Stanford game that uh, Stanford, the losing team in that, does not recognize the loss? Is that, or am I making that up? Oh!
0: I don't know. I don't know about that, but yeah, there was a there was an illegal lateral in that play that's real famous. So that's like why. If
1: I'm Arkansas, I might just be like that game never happened. Like you can, you know, <laughs> in terms of like the the win loss column for the SEC title this year, sure it obviously has to count. But Arkansas, I don't think they can kid themselves that they won't be winning the division. Think about
0: think about how mad Arkansas fans are. Yeah, you know, they just spent an entire offseason talking about how Chad Morris was a failure and Auburn <laughs> was going to be worse the, the, because the, of him, and like they were that close to being able to gloat about that win mm. for now in eternity and now they can still kind of gloat about the fact that auburn didn't look good and they didn't deserve to win but they still won there's still going to be at least some of that hanging around in their heads here's the thing Bo Nix made a mistake he didn't catch the snap that's that's the ultimate that's the ultimate problem And he said it after game he didn't catch the snap did you know that was a rule until that happened? yes okay i, I knew that was see, i knew it, was, I it happened it happened in the first game i don't think it was the first game of the season it was uh there was another game I watched earlier this year where they had that issue. Somebody, found, it was Louisiana Lafayette, I think, may have been, had a problem with that. And so it was like, yeah, you can't spike a fumble. You can't ground it. You can intentionally ground it. And like that, Auburn could have done that easily there. Just if because then Nicks, you're
1: just losing a yard and it's like, whatever.
0: And it's like a sack, basically. It's like taking a sack. If Bo, it's the same result if Bo Nicks would have caught that ball off the that and just held it and then got hit. Then they'd have to rush the kicking team on there and they'd have to do basically a whistle kick, which they, which they practice, and they would probably have been fine at it. they they do it after the intentional grounding call pretty much in this sense. If Bo catches it and spikes it forward, it's intentional grounding. There's no problem there. If Bo fumbles it, catches it, and throws it into the stands, still intentional grounding. It's not like you can't throw the ball after a fumble. We've seen fumbled snaps and guys pick it up and then throw it downfield to make plays. You can intentionally ground off of it. The problem is is when you throw the ball backwards, Whether you mean to or not, that is a fumble. By definition, a fumble in college football. And the problem with what happened in that game was that they fumbled the ball, and the referees didn't really kind of see it at that time as a fumble. Instead of just letting the chaos play out, there was an early whistle, and Arkansas says they landed on it, but like in the review, there's no clear and obvious, oh, they established possession, and that's why they lost the game. However... I'll say this, there's a lot of negative about what what we saw out of Auburn, and you can say they stole a win, they didn't deserve to win, whatever you do that. But I think one of the ultimate things, and I wrote about it on Sunday morning, is say what you want about Gus Malzahn, say what you want about his tenure. That team does not quit. They don't. How many times have we seen them do this? They play poorly and still find a way to win, or they play poorly and they still hang in there, or they play poorly and the defense doesn't get shredded in the second half, or the offense still shows some fight. They missed that field goal, and they still have to get – that defense had been worn out, and they still get the stop that they need, and they still get the return that they need, and they still get the passes. Think about the drive beforehand. You can talk about how Auburn didn't deserve to win that game. How many times has Andres Carlson miss that field goal? But they had to get in that position because they started throwing the ball on offense and, and like hit some big plays and put themselves in a position to win the game the first time, and they get to do it again. The crowd was dead. They sat through a monsoon. There's already not very many people there. And that team just still didn't give up they could have folded they could have folded easily so say what you want about this team and say what you want about their things moving forward but they're two and one today not only because the referees made a mistake they're two and one today because they kept fighting and the opportunity fell their way the football gods smiled upon them chaos auburn got their worst bit of chaos yet in the fact that the officials made a mistake and i was like all right we'll take it two and one baby
1: i'll say on the flip side of that because it's all true And the last stand by the defense obviously puts Auburn in a great spot considering how much the momentum flips once Auburn misses what would have been a potentially game-clinching field goal. Auburn has got to find ways in games like this to hit a kill shot. It's something you mentioned last night, and it has been something that has plagued Auburn In a number of games, you're up 17-0 at home against a team that you're better than because you have more talent and you have an experienced quarterback that's played in a system for more than a season. Fleet Bay Franks just got there. Mm -hmm. Find a way to make that game 24-0. We're probably not having this conversation.
0: Yep. Yeah. You know, bad breaks fall your way. You know, Arkansas shouldn't have had that big play that gave them a, that touchdown drive because of that offensive pass interference. Yeah. <laughs> the, the officials had no interest in that game, had zero interest in that game of calling holding. People were strangling each other that whole game um, <laughs> on, on both sides of the ball. So, I mean, there there were some big plays that Arkansas had. You'd be like, eh, they probably could have blown a whistle there or thrown a flag, I should say. You blow a whistle on every play. The pieces that they've got, if they could all work in conjunction, work really well. You see Auburn's offense early on, defensively three and out, three and out early on. Their third down defense was great. I think Arkansas's longest drive in their first five drives went like went like twenty yards, five plays. They're forcing punts. Auburn gets a seventeen nothing lead. They're able to run the ball. Unfortunately, you're playing in a monsoon at that point, and you don't want to throw the ball, and so you run it. Well, by the time the rain clears up. And Arkansas adjust on defense to the running game. Some for Auburn, the defense is starting to wear down. You didn't get that kill shot. You didn't get that. You didn't get that thing. And and Arkansas had life. Arkansas had hope. And Arkansas took advantage of a gas defense. Can it all work in conjunction? Can they all put it together? Because if you look at the high points from the Arkansas game and the Kentucky game and put them together all together, that's a good football team. Is it a championship contender? Probably not. But it's still a team that you're not thinking that is going to be a bad team. That's a team that you feel like will have a chance with everybody they play for the rest of the season if they can do it all together. However, if it's as sporadic and as disjointed as it has been, that team's going to have a hard time getting a 5-5. Five and five. If your offense is so imbalanced, Painter, like how are you going to keep up with teams like Ole Miss? How are you going to keep up with teams like LSU.
1: If you said this already, but it's I'm taking it from your observation story at the Observer. Alabama, 723 total offensive yards. Ole Miss, 647. A&M, 543. South Carolina, 485. And I don't think anyone's all that impressed with South Carolina's offense. They just beat up on a weak opponent. LSU, 479. And Vanderbilt was
0: missing like 25 players. <laughs> and LSU, 479,
1: even though they can't stop anyone. Mississippi State, 295. They didn't play well. That was funny. Uh, Tennessee, they played fine in the first half, hit a couple of big passes down the field, got a fortunate touchdown off of a bad snap. But Georgia absolutely shut them down in the second half. But most of those teams put up 400, 500 yards of offense. LO put up
0: 700 yards of offense. And Auburn put up 400 and something yesterday. A lot of it was on the ground. Can it all come together? You haven't seen that step forward from Bo Nix yet for several different reasons. You have not seen this offense kind of take that step that you were looking for this year. In a year, like I've, like I've been saying, in a year where other offenses under new management are ripping right now. They are shredding teams. And that's an issue for Auburn. And that's been an issue that's had them. It doesn't matter if Chip Lindsey was the offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, and Gus Malzahn's call and plays. It doesn't matter if Jarrett Stidham's the quarterback. It doesn't matter if, if Bo Nix is the quarterback. It doesn't matter if you have a ton of experience up front or no experience up front. Like, this has just been what Auburn's dealt with. That's a, that's a real problem because it's hard to win in the SEC that way. And if you want to take away positives from that performance, say, yeah, there, was a, there were a few drives where Bo Nix made some incredible throws and the, and the protection was there and they had it going. And there were some drives when they could not be stopped running the ball. And there were some drives where that defense played their tails off early. Rarely did it overlap. Everybody else you play the rest of the way, even Mississippi State, is going to be better than them in terms of talent. What are you going to do to counter it? I don't want to harp on the defense too much because they made enough plays to give them the opportunity to win the game and they got off to a good start and they are so hurt. Look at the rest of the SEC, everyone's given up huge numbers almost except for Georgia.
1: That's where you can feel some semblance of hope, I think, about Yeah. It's why I feel more confident right now about the defense. Both the past couple of years under Steele really, I mean, just have been excellent. I mean, and he's earned the benefit of the doubt. On top of it, you haven't played with a full deck of cards yet.
0: And you're already missing your two biggest aces from the last few mm-hmm. seasons. Like, you knew this defense was going to regress in some area, but you didn't think they were going to fall off a cliff, right? And they haven't, comparatively speaking.
1: I think also the second half didn't go the way I thought it would, especially given what we watched in the first half. and, and right. the, the way Franks was able to move the ball down the field with
0: to and, 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 and I don't want to say it's just... Just the fact that they were hurt and they're thin is the problem. Like, there were coverage busts. There were times – there were missed tackles. They were leaving guys open. There were times when it looked like the communication wasn't clear. Like, those are all fixable problems. I'm not saying, oh, they're hurt, give them a pass. But they played against a really good offensive mind and Kendall Bryles. And on top of that, they made their own mistakes, and that was added on to the fact that they were worn down. We've seen them bounce back before from that. And if you feel like they get healthier, they might do it. Offensively, it's just you're back to this again. At the same time, your offensive line is not the pass protecting unit it was a year before, and the new spin is, and I guess this is where we can talk positives here. Tank Bigsby, the guy has the potential to. I'm going to say it, and this is this might be way too bold of a claim. The guy has the potential if he if he sticks it out, and you know, and Auburn is able to kind of get rolling over the next couple of years, next three years with him. If they don't bottom out, he has the potential, I think, to be the best Auburn running back they've had since the Tuberville era. Better than Trey Mason, better than Carryon Johnson. He is a complete back.
1: Yards as a true freshman at this stage in his career is impressive, and a lot of that came on special teams. But uh, he was incredible, especially in the first half. Uh, exciting to watch. You can tell it's easy to watch.
0: He's got he's got every attribute you want in a really good running back, especially at his young age. He runs hard. He bre- he hardly ever goes down on first contact, but yet he's very agile and he's got really good burst. He's got good vision, and you put all that together. He's also a weapon in the receiving game. He he also has had some good moments in pass protection. Now I know he had some breakdowns yesterday in game. It's probably three.
1: the part of the game you expect him to develop here, because it seems like he's got a lot of the natural stuff.
0: I'll down. tell you. I'll tell you this: he didn't have to pra- pass protect a ton at Callaway. Yeah. That was uh, because he was. How many freshmen the at running
1: back like with as polished pass protectors? It's just like not something yeah. that most high schoolers no. do.
0: It's also why I want to ever I want to see a high school team just run the air raid because you know you see high school teams all the time like small school teams they'll they'll, they'll run the um they'll run the option the problem is this, that's just really hard to make a, a high school quarterback like make the read and react either way yeah you're right like running backs aren't going to come in polished in in terms of pass protection but he breaks so many tackles and he's got really good burst and it's just a lifting presence to the rest of the team because. This shouldn't be understated as well, and I and I put it in the in the observer uh, the observations. DJ Williams had a really good game. Yeah, how about that? Forty-one yard DJ, run was that what that was? And just ripping off a big game, he had some really good carries himself. Well, that was looked,
1: something I'd wanted to see from him because the numbers were a little bit underwhelming outside of the big runs against LSU, and we talked about that a good bit and the need for Auburn to have more explosive plays and. There's a lingering question in my head. Okay, how explosive can he be on a consistent basis? Well, that was a good start for him. I was glad to see him do that.
0: Still no Mark Anthony Richards. Yeah, that's been
1: surprising, man. I really thought this was going to be a good year for him.
0: I've tried to get as much info as I can on there. I I, I can't get a solid answer. Right now, there's a
1: couple of things I've got to eat crow on, though, and that is uh, that the quarterback play at this point, I thought he was going to take more of a step forward, and I'm so curious to hear what you think about that because it's like a – a circular motion almost where it's like, all right, the offensive line to this point is still evidently coming together. And there's, I think, and you'll probably be able to shed some light on this, been some accuracy issues with Bo that I didn't expect to be there. He's also had a lot of drops. uh, and, And I'm having a hard time parsing through how much of it is Bo's inaccuracy and having happy feet falling back onto some bad
0: habits I didn't think he had that much of an issue yesterday. Yeah, there were a few plays.
1: with the offensive line just struggling to consistently pass protect.
0: You mentioned yeah. In the second drive. half, they did better. though.
1: yeah. And would they have a seven for seven or he had a seven for seven drive? So yep. I mean, like there Late was a third, flash early fourth, where you went okay. It's consistency. Why? Like, it's why, consistency. Outside of a couple of Kentucky drives and that drive, where is it?
0: Right. Exactly. This is the same quarterback who looks lights out and makes really good throws and has really good drives. It's also the same quarterback who makes some tough decisions and has some accuracy issues and, and gets, puts himself into danger. And Oh,
1: another point you made, and I think this is a good one, and I think this is a good one. It's understandable. Appreciate it. It's understandable like, because they're probably reliable. It seems like he's got two receivers who he's looking at.
0: Yep. And I wonder how much if Eli was healthy, if Eli Stove was healthy, how much that would change. Still not throwing the ball to the tight ends, and they're out there on almost every play. Still no targets, I don't think, yet for Shedrick Jackson. We've only seen Xavier Capers and Cubby Hudson catch the ball once. And it's like, yeah, I mean, Malzahn put it out. It's like, those are two of your best, best receivers you can get. Still, I mean, the best pa- the best offenses in the country are spreading the wealth. Like, Mac Jones isn't just throwing the ball just to Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith. That's not the case at all so you got to wonder about the progress in that area as well if you're an Auburn fan coming off this game there's always going to be doom and gloom there's always going to be people who are going to be like oh this team's hopeless fire everybody whatever if I was an Auburn fan watching this and Painter you could probably chime in on this this better than I can I don't think the thing should be one of despair or hopelessness it's got to be just frustration because it would be different if this team was just going to get shelled and they kind of did against Georgia, but like in this game, it would have been different if they had just folded, been done, didn't look good at all, lost, move on from there. Both sides of the ball have just some things that they that, that you can say, okay, if this team can put it all together, they're going to be fine. But we said that in 18, we said that in 19, we're, we're saying that now in 20. We said it at times at 17. It was probably the reason why they didn't go to the SEC title. I mean, the they w- went to the SEC title game. It's probably the reason why they didn't go to the playoff.
1: The consistent inconsistencies at the same spots, given that Auburn is a pretty talented team, is extremely frustrating. And and it's to the point you made at the beginning, like it's a little bit hacked to blame it on the head coach singularly. But also since the end of the 17 season, where they end up having some bad breaks and lose to Georgia and then lose to UCF, it has been this wave. And really it's been more or less the same story throughout the tenure outside of 13 and 14 right it's been some games especially against lesser opponents you tend to take care of business Mississippi State Ole Miss Arkansas he's not had a whole lot of
0: trouble with he beats teams. A&M regularly
1: yeah I guess you could quarrel with Mississippi State because I think State's four and six against Auburn in this decade but that aside the flip to that argument is okay good you've you've Done what you should. You're beating teams that you're better than. The ceiling is the ceiling is high. But what's the deal with LSU in Georgia? And And not 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 only that, but can you look like you have a pulse? We talked about the kill shot a moment ago against LSU in both seventeen and eighteen. They did not put the game away. They didn't put the game away yesterday. Yesterday. It is concerning because I think that this this coaching staff has done a good job of assembling what I consider a good group of offensive players but it has not been reflected in their play consistently for the last couple of seasons
0: i guess put it all on the head coach and the fact that he has been the constant in this case but also like i will say i don't know what the like i don't know what the fix is right but it's on him to fix it i didn't say that but i just know that inconsistency comes down to coaching and coaching like that's that's got to be something that they've got to do better on and it's been different assistance and i'm talking the offensive side defense side of the ball i think like like we said all this should come with a caveat Defensive side of the ball, I think you're just worn down, and this was already a year of, of transition. Offense is going to be your issue because, look, man, like every other team in the league has got issues on defense for the most part, except for Georgia. What are you going to do on the offensive end? And like, this was a year you're going to get better. Like, I don't think anybody was expecting Auburn to win the SEC West this year. It was it's a it's an even year. You go to Georgia on the road. You go to Alabama on the road. This is a tougher schedule, you know, than what you would have had in a regular year. But 2020, if you were going to play the season, it's like, okay, here's Bo Nix. Here's returning the receivers. Here's some talent at running back. If they can grow up at the line of scrimmage, and if Chad Morris can be the guy to unlock things. This was supposed to be the year where you see offensive progress, and through three games, you have not seen that yet. You've seen high points. You've seen some new things that you want to string together. But once again, like I wrote on on Sunday morning, for the last few seasons, the good offensive moments can't all come. This This is not the year to be underwhelming on offense.
1: I understand the frustration with Chad, and we have largely strayed from criticizing him thus far because it's so early in his tenure, and Nell comes in, and so they're working through that. But on some level, I do think of all people, like Chad can only work with what he has at this point, which is an offensive line that, quite frankly, has been disappointing, and a quarterback that, through this point in the season, has not looked to be as impressive as I had expected or hoped there was much to do on Auburn Twitter about Jordan Rodgers breaking down Mm -hmm. a certain play. I'm not going to act like Chad Morris has called a perfect game every game for the first three of the season, but at the same time, like I'm really not all that interested at this point in pinning it on him.
0: Football's collaborative, man. Like, yes, football precisely. is a collaborative sport. The quarterback, the quarterback plays poorly. Well, was the, did the wide receivers not do their job? Did the offensive line not do their job? Did he did not do his job? Did the coaching put him in the bad spot? Did, the, did he not get developed? Like, it's a collaborative sport. Pinning it all on one person doesn't do anything. Whether his name is Chad Morris or Bo Nix or Gus Malzahn or Kevin Steele, or it's a collaborative sport. That's what makes it pretty unique. It takes everyone coming together. And when something goes wrong, it's usually not just one guy if one dude at cornerback gets beat on every play yeah you can probably pin it on that one dude but then why did the coaching get him in that spot over and over again like why is he in that situation that's my thing with Auburn at this point you want to point it to coaching as like this generic concept that includes Chad Morris that includes Gus Malzahn that includes Cody Burns and Cadillac Williams and Jack McNeil but it also goes back to the recruiting beforehand look Auburn's got issues on the offensive line Tennessee yesterday, I know they lost. Tennessee started four former five stars on that offensive line yesterday. There might just be a natural ceiling. I thought Auburn's offensive line showed progress in some areas yesterday. There might be a natural ceiling to that group just due to ta- the talent you have available. Just saying, stars matter, especially on a macro level, especially at a position group along the line of scrimmage. I, I came out of that game yesterday thinking, all right, Auburn's offensive line could get better. And if you're looking for a positive, that offensive line can get better. They can consistently find a way to keep Bo Nicks protected. He can fire the ball. To receive. Now, they've got to do a better job of getting other guys involved. they got to do a better job of getting Seth and Flash playing well at the same time. There's room to improve. This is still a young offense. This is not a finished product on the offensive end. But that was my thing in the piece. they got to hurry up quick because you're about to play back-to-back games on the road, including a team in two weeks, that'll just say, we're going to put up 700 yards. Y'all try to catch us if you can. Right? Right.
1: It's like hard to envision, based on the way they've played against Florida and Alabama, that Ole Miss is not going to at least score 35 points.
0: At least. And if not, that's probably a sign that Auburn's defense got healthier and started playing better, which is so possible. Like, it's
1: like, can you get to, you know, Ole Miss has a bad defense. They're they Horrible.
0: The they worst gave up defense. nine
1: touchdowns yesterday? How many touchdowns did they give up? I mean, it's not like they're stopping anyone either, but yeah. they're not that worried they, about
0: it. They're on pace to have the worst defense in the modern era in college football. They are, a, like, yard, they are a yard and a half worse than the second worst defense in college football. Who's a the yard guy, and a half.
1: Who's the guy that uh, was not only is DJ Durkin not a particularly nice human being, or at least he has... Something on his record, but also like a guy,
0: a player died, a player died under DJ Durkin's, uh, under DJ Jerkin's watch, and he still gets to coach.
1: And on top of it, I'd just like to say, not good.
0: Yeah. And also, just like in a purely football sense, is not good at his job. But they are a yard and a half worse than the second worst team. And they've played Florida and they've played Alabama and they've played a Kentucky team. But like even yesterday, like Kentucky, Kentucky shredded Oklahoma everybody's shredding Oklahoma's defense uh although good game Kentucky shredded Old Miss's defense Mississippi State like I think Kentucky had like less than 200 yards of offense so it's like that's a that's a uniquely horrible defense put it together and you can find something there because this is a young offense is continuing to get better yes you should see more progress out of Bo Nix you should see better use of this passing game through three games that running game, that offensive line, your two youngest or in terms of experienced groups showed progress yesterday, showed that they can be better. Dude, Tank Bigsby. If if, he's a monster. He, but also, he's a guy... I mean, I put it in the story, and it got a lot of buzz on Twitter after the game. Here's his quote about how he played. If you want, if Auburn fans want to get excited, more excited about a kid who had just ran for as many yards as he did yesterday, he said, if you ask me about the game I played today, it was all right. I could have done a lot of things better, pressing, being more patient. I could have done a lot of things better, working on getting in the end zone, running the ball more physically and then I was running. It was an all right game for me. I'm just glad we won. I'm okay with my performance, but down the road, hopefully, I know it'll get better. Dude, this was his first career start, and he ran for 146 yards, most by any true freshman running back, uh, against an SEC opponent at Auburn since Michael Dyer. most running... advantage
1: because of who was in the backfield with him, and that's not to take away from Dyer because Dyer was an incredible freshman running back, but it does help when you're running with Cam Newton.
0: Most all-purpose yards that anybody has had since Trey Mason's SEC title game in 2013, 100-yard first half. No one's done that since carry-on three years ago against Ole Miss. No one's run for more, uh, run for more yards against an SEC opponent in two years at Auburn. And he thinks he can get better. And he can. That's the scary thing. He can get better. And the guy, and more importantly, the guys in front of him can get better, even though I thought there were some pieces together that started working. I thought Broderick Sam did. And hey, credit where credit's due. He got a lot of grief on social media last week and just from Auburn fans. Alec Jackson showed progress. He grew up in that game. Alec Jackson grew up in that game. They didn't have Austin Troxell available due to injury. I think he. I think there was only really one or two times where pass protection broke down on his side of the field. He may, he paved the way on those on those outside runs for Tank Bigsby a few times. Credit where credit's due, man. That offensive line grew up in some areas. They still got a long way to go. But like that's the thing. Can you put it all together? Can you get that going and you take that step forward? As as the fact that that, that at, at the same time that you get Bo Nix and. Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz and the other receivers all playing in concert with one another and you get your offense clicking in the, in the same way. Can you get it all together? That's the thing. If you can, you can still be a good football team and you still got a lot to play for. The problem is here we are in 2020 and the track record the last few years says, no, it's going to be really hard for them to get that consistency. If they do, that'll be a surprise. It'll be a real turn, but You've got to get that consistency because everybody else in the SEC pretty much is moving the ball at will, and your defense took a step has taken a step back because of who they've lost and because they, in terms of graduation and of injuries at this point. So put it all together. is what I got to say. And the track record under Gus Malzahn says, eh, it, it, you know, it hasn't happened in the last few years. Can it happen this year? Look, man. If you want to predict Auburn football, go ahead because the same teams that had the same problems last season beat Alabama. <laughs> like, who knows? Who knows at this point? I think that's I think that's my big thing.
1: So off all, all season, I said I believe the defense deserves the benefit of the doubt with Steele and what they've done the last few years, but I think the opposite can be said of the offense, and that's where my concern mostly lies. Yep. Is that yep. they have individually some good players on that mm-hmm. offense, but uh, I don't have a lot of faith based on what we've seen over the last couple of seasons and what we saw against some good defensive teams, sure, but uh, the pulse has not been there. And, uh, it you know, would love to be proven wrong on this one because it has happened in multiple seasons where Auburn did start pretty woefully only to end up having good offenses by the end of the year.
0: If you want to hit the panic button, Auburn fans, I get it. I really do. If you want to hit the despair button, uh might might be a little too quick. This is going to be a weird year. It's going to be in some ways a lost year just because of the way COVID affected college football. However, yeah, there's still hope. There's still hope in the fact that there are some positives you can take away and like if you're an Auburn fan and say all oh, is lost and like still watch Tank Bigsby play yesterday, like I don't know. I don't know. Uh you should at least feel like and even even though you probably well you definitely I think by the letter of the law didn't deserve to win that game yesterday you can at least feel a little bit better than than what you did coming out of that Georgia game now could Auburn still only win two more games three more games probably I mean that, that, that's that's a that's definitely a possibility but could this be their Mercer game and next week against South Carolina be their Missouri game you know from 2017 sure who would have thought Auburn would have won a high scoring iron Bowl last year the way that offense looked You know, And I know they had pick sixes, and that definitely helped, but still.
1: I guess you're running up against the the thing that's also a frustration for Auburn fans most because it's great when you get those wins and when the offense does come together and the defense that's been very reliable over the last few years has an offense that's going tit-for-tat with another team takes so much pressure off of them, right? Um, And I think that's part of what you can attribute to the first-half struggles defensively, too, even if the defense isn't as good as last year against Georgia, man. They just – we're on the field a lot, and Georgia was able to wear them out in the first half of that game. Uh, it's hard to feel optimistic given what we've seen from the Minnesota game on, and like the bowl game, always have to take with a grain of salt given that it's different players, right? It's a different mm-hmm. year. But from that point on, it's not been a particularly impressive offensive output. Like you said, again, in the Iron Bowl, you had some defensive plays go your way. You played you know solid defense against an electric offense even with mac jones but uh, right now i I think you know if, if i felt like auburn was you know more likely to overachieve going into the season at seven or eight wins based on what we've seen so far it's feeling more like underachieve or getting to six wins you know five wins or six wins seeming
0: more plausible yeah for sure for sure all right painter We've talked a lot of bad news. We've talked a lot of frustrating <laughs> news. I'm a, we're going to wrap up this show with two bits of good news. The first one, of course, is courtesy of our friends at homefield Apparel, homefieldapparel.com. Yes, the promo code still works. You can still get it. Um, you know, we talked about it right around the time we started doing this. It was like, hey, fall weather. It's getting cooler. Uh, and then Auburn was like, ha, no, we're back in the 80s again. Um, but there's a lot of T-shirts on there. Uh, homefieldapparel.com you can get some really cool ones painters avi right now on twitter is 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 our is our good side eye obby um it is the perfect painter picture and i hope he keeps it forever because that is that is exactly uh, who he is you can get that bad boy on a hoodie or a gray t-shirt that sailor hat with the old side eye look you also got um you know auburn uh there's like an there's like a couple of really cool au logos that are that are really old there's one Really old throwback where a Tiger's leaning on an A with a nice, cool sweater on. Uh, you can get you can get crew neck sweaters. You can get T-shirts. You can get hoodies. You can get all that at home field apparel with Auburn gear, uh, Auburn logos on them. They're adding new teams every single week if you have other allegiances um, or just like the logos of these vintage premium uh, uh, apparel that you can get at homefieldapparel.com. Um, and use the promo code observer for 20% off your first order. If you haven't done so already, uh, that's home field apparel right now. I'm wearing my um, Seton hall shirt, which is one of my absolute favorites. It's the most comfortable t-shirt you can buy. And so it's perfect for podcasting or just hanging out around the house. You do to want to instituted get comfortable. A
1: rule. I've instituted a rule in which you, because the clothes are so comfortable only wear one article of Home Field clothing at a time. If it's the sweatpants. Otherwise, it'll overload. Yeah, or you can just wear a hoodie, but you cannot wear pants because the comfort is too great and it overwhelms you.
0: Yes, it 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 it, it will overwhelm you. That's homefieldapparel.com. or one of the t-shirts you can buy at Home Field Apparel, one of our personal favorites from it is the old Auburn basketball uh, logo with the sailor hat. All be sticking his whole arm through the hoop. On a, on a nice blue T-shirt or a blue uh, sweatshirt, um, very much like the Vince Carter, honey dip dunk. Um, and that's fitting because I wanted to wrap up today's part of the program. If you're a subscriber to the Auburn Observer, you were able to read these on Friday Friday afternoon or evening. If you're listening to this and you're one of our free signups and you listen to the podcast uh, you know early in the week, you listen to the free one each week, we appreciate you guys tuning in. But here's something of what you can get at auburnobserver.com. We are into basketball season kind of uh, because <laughs> Auburn basketball has got a big one, Jabari Smith Jr., the number 5 player in the country. We talked him a little bit about him a little bit on the Thursday edition of the premium podcast. Now that he is officially a member of the Auburn 2021 recruiting class, Painter, what is your reaction to the absolute unit that Auburn is getting out of the Atlanta area for the 2021-2022 season?
1: All hail Bruce. He is my king, it again. and he can be your king, too. Um, you, miss out on J- you,
0: you miss out on J.D. Davison and then you go get a guy that's rated a few spots higher than him right after that.
1: Uh, I'm really excited about what's happening here. We love it, don't we, folks? We love what's happening in Auburn basketball. It's great stuff because this year is going to be fun. This team is freaky athletic. I'm <laughs> super excited to see what Sharif does. It'd be great if he has a season where he can go one and done, but... But if he has a Chuma Okiki like trajectory, imagine, yep. imagine, the likes of Sharif Cooper and Jabari Smith and many other athletic players
0: who are all Jalen Williams, yes, I J could T. Thor, them, you all know them, so Devin no Cambridge too.
1: Uh, <laughs> Stretch Akambola. Uh, so just but for real, like this year, I think is going to be. Uh, I I expect it to be inconsistent because they're just young and have a, a bunch of guys. Uh, it's gonna be, be a weird year for everybody. Yeah, and I think that you will will watch Auburn basketball at times and get really excited, and then at other times it's going to make you want to pull your hair out. And uh, you know it's going to be fantastic because the way that they I think they're going to play the style of defense with the athleticism they've got on offense. Oh, it's going to be. Oh, it's going to be delicious
0: on thursday and friday i watched a ton of jabari smith um film because i I talked to a couple people and it sounded like they were pretty solid that auburn was going to get him uh, on friday afternoon and so for our auburn observer subscribers i wanted to go ahead and say hey we're going to take basketball seriously once basketball season starts and especially when football season ends we're going to try to treat this covering it you know like auburn football There will still be always probably be more football coverage than basketball coverage on the whole, but especially during basketball season, especially with the amount of excitement around this program, we are going to cover Auburn basketball to the hilt. Like recap podcasts, observations, all that stuff, all the stuff we're doing right now for football, we're planning on doing it for basketball. Don't worry about that. I can't Um, wait
1: because we get to do it for a midweek game plus a Saturday game. That's what, like, perhaps my favorite thing about basketball season and Auburn having a competitive team is not just – being sad when football season is over, getting to enjoy basketball season twice a week is pretty dope.
0: And so you can check out those uh, the, that breakdown of Jabari Smith's game if you haven't already. Subscribe to the Auburn Observer. $6 a month or $60 a year. Painter, We are now over 400 subscribers in less than two weeks. Unreal. Just it's, absolutely it's, unreal.
1: Yeah, it has been really cool. And whether it's been the interactions online uh, or it's been – well, I guess the main thing is the fact that people are willing to support the endeavor and it gives us an opportunity to do something that we care about and that we enjoy. And, you know, it, it is uh, it is hard to put that into words. So again, thank you guys very, very much.
0: I will say this. Yesterday, I was in the Jordan-Hare Stadium press box and the Auburn Observer was had a seat in there. And let me tell you this. That is y'all. That's not me. That's y'all. If this thing wasn't... As successful as it has been so far, if it didn't have the traffic, if it didn't have the subscribers, if it didn't have the people signing up, if it didn't have the tweets and, and people having buzz about it, I wouldn't have been in there yesterday. I would not have been. I wouldn't have gotten a spot, you know, kind of as a, as a legitimate media operation covering Auburn sports. That's on y'all. So we cannot thank all of you enough for that. It has been truly, truly a blessing. Each and every one of you who've signed up, we cannot thank you enough. Um, but like I said, you can check out that Jabari Smith profile. And if you want to get a little sneak preview, there's a ton of gifts in there. It's about 1500 words. There's a player comparison in there that I really, really like. That's another one and done talent, but man, this is the best recruit Auburn has ever had in basketball. And he is unlike anybody. I I've said in the Bruce Pearl era, look, man, like somebody can probably straighten me out if I'm wrong. He might be unlike any player Auburn's ever had in terms of the way he plays the man is six foot ten, and he plays like he's about six foot five in terms of, and not not saying he plays small. He uses his height well, and he uses his length extremely well. But he's like, hey, I want to catch the ball. Have you guard me, and I can go up and over. There are a couple of times where I watch him. The man is fearless shooting the ball <laughs> at six ten. Those guys don't come around often.
1: Well, yeah, with the way the game is going, look at who the best players in the league are, um, and we've obviously seen a lot of impressive guard play in the nba but on the whole the guys who are in that 6 7 to six eleven range that can also shoot the three because seemingly everyone has to be able to shoot the three now there aren't a lot of them per se that are just elite and maybe he'll get there but like he's on the trajectory to be an elite player an elite shooter with a body type that simply very few have
0: yeah average is a double double he was the second leading scorer for the Americans on the U16 team that won the uh, FIBA Americas title last summer. He's won a national title in AAU. Um, dude scores 23 and a half points a game in high school as a junior, playing in a really competitive region in, in the Atlanta area. Uh, he's a special talent. He's number five in the country for a reason. There are two plays that stood out to me when I was watching film of him. I was like, oh, this guy is different. First one, it's one of the early ones. Catches a ball on top of the wing. He has a guy draped all over him. He goes, rips through, gets gets to the elbow, rises up and fires. Contested jumper, nails it, hits the bottom out of it. That is an NBA type of player. The one thing that separates elite players in basketball from the really, really great ones, even at the college level, are the ones who can say, I don't care who's in front of me, I'm scoring. Like, I'm going to get my shot over you, I'm going to get my shot through you. Remember how Isaac Koro could finish in traffic so well? You get that with him. Now you just do it in terms of a shooter. Second thing I saw of him that, that got it, you know, I'd seen highlights of him catching transition threes, picking pop threes, even dribbling down the floor in the fast break and stopping and shooting threes. I was like, oh, that's pretty crazy. The one that got me, though, he catches the ball at about the short corner, a little high post uh, kind of short corner. He faces up, guy, guy all presses up on him. This man dribbles back, does a little crab dribble back, kind of he- hesitates, sizes him up then pulls and hits a step-back three. He caught the ball down low and dribbled out to go take a three because he's 6'10", and he can do it. i telling you, there's not a lot of dudes like that. There's not I a lot of dudes like that.
1: Also, if you're an Auburn fan, the trajectory with which Pearl recently has been able to send his best players mm-hmm. has been impressive, obviously a four-year starter, or at least a four-year contributor in Bryce Brown. The records he broke, Jared Harper having a professional career. And then you get to Chuma Okiki, a guy that a lot of people were impressed with coming out of high school, but I don't think many people had him going that high in the draft. And then you follow it up with Isaac Okoro,
0: almost certainly a lottery pick in this year's draft. He's probably probably most- going to be a top 10, not even maybe even a top 5 pick.
1: He has gotten the most, extracted everything out of those players, and I think he has made them better and put them on a path to success sooner than they would have had in other programs.
0: Exactly. He's developed well. He's, gotten, he's gone to a Final Four. He's won an SEC title. He's won an SEC tournament title with, with his teams, like you said, developing these dudes moving forward is huge. And now, oh, he just so happened to get two of the, the two best players he's ever had. Sharif Cooper's reign as the highest rated recruit Auburn basketball has ever had lasted like eight months. Like here comes Jabari Smith. Um, so we'll see how it goes. And like we said, AuburnObserver.com, You can check all that out. We will get more basketball content as we get closer to the year. Sounds like Auburn's going to play Gonzaga early in the year. That is a game that is very, very important to me. Cause if you know anything <laughs> about me, uh, I am a Gonzaga basketball fan. So it'll be interesting watching Auburn play the Zags. Um, because I don't think that's ever happened or at least it's not happened. Um, really recently. Uh but there's gonna be a lot more basketball stuff in the weeks ahead. Football's gonna take precedent. You're still gonna get a lot of football stuff, but as we get closer to basketball, you'll see some more basketball stuff. And then once we get into out of football season and into basketball season, man, we're gonna hit it. Like I tweeted the other day. The the glove is the the glove is on, <laughs> the infinity gauntlet is on. Like for the first time in my career, I am going to be able to write about Auburn basketball and I won't have somebody saying yeah, well, it's just you know the numbers really aren't there. Like, hey, man, I know football. I know basketball doesn't get as many clicks as football. I get that. I understand that. But let me tell you, I know Auburn basketball fans are passionate about Auburn basketball. There's a lot of excitement there, and the, and the fan base is only getting bigger. You're gonna get that coverage there as well. So, AuburnDeserver.com, six dollars a month, sixty dollars $60 a year, whichever one you got it. If you are listening to this podcast, wherever you're listening to your podcast, and you're getting it for free. Thank you for tuning in. Continue to rate and review and subscribe. If you want to stay on this path and just get the recap once a week free podcast, awesome. We're glad you're here with us. If you want to take the next step up, you can be a subscriber, and you'll get an extra bonus podcast at the end of the week. Those usually come out around on Thursday. Our premium episode for our subscribers will be reviewing, or previewing, I should say, the South Carolina game in this next one. So, Painter, you got anything else? Join the inner circle. We'd love to have you... Painter is, Painter is now going to be. Painter is now the Chris Jericho of this of this uh, of this <laughs> podcast, of this enterprise. He wants everyone to join the inner circle. He's going to start carrying around an aluminum baseball bat. Start repping the inner circle. If I All have right. to do it
1: by force, I will.
0: He will, folks. He's he's very passionate about this. Follow me on Twitter at jfergusonau. Follow him on Twitter at paintsharpless. Painter. There's no telling if the Bills are going to be able to play football this week, but just in case, go Bills.